This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. From financial advice to practice management, this podcast will give you UK and global insight into the financial planning profession. My name is James Fitzgerald, Senior Reporter at CityYNMA, and today I'm joined by Carl Dines, Head of Business Consultancy at support services provider Simply Biz. Carl, welcome to you. Um, hello, James. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. Now, as we all know, regulations are a massive part of advisors' professional life and workload, and the FCA has certainly been busy on this front, consulting on a huge amount of set in stone and potential regulations and guidance over the past few years, and especially recently. One such example is the FCA's propu- proposed rather consumer duty which is set to come into force next year and plans to further distinguish guidance versus advice as well as provide good outcomes for consumers, among many other things. However, what the FCA hasn't been so good at of late is demonstrating suitability to advice firms. How do you see the consumer duty fitting into that and what are your thoughts on the proposals as a whole thus far? Consumer duty um, is big. It's consuming my It is very big. Yeah. I just had to read, read through it, uh, and within um, the consult, consultation paper 2136 is the draft guidance for firms. Obviously, it's a draft version. Mm. It is 29,000 words long. There it's is a long. lot of yeah. stuff in there, and it, it does repeat itself a bit. But if the regulator's going to sort of write 29,000 words on a particular subject, then I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Mm. There's a lot of stuff in there which is and will have an overarching effect on on every firm. Um, Within the document itself, the regulator um, have laid down the cost-benefit analysis, and they reckon the consumer duty will affect 51,000 firms. Now, that means the small guys right the way up to the large organisations. And if you do read through the document, it basically um, sort of touches on a lot of areas which will affect large manufacturers to small and medium and um, um, larger um, distributors as well. So it it does cover a lot of things. And the interesting thing about it, it it actually sets out a new principle. So this is going to be principle 12, We've mm. got 11 already. It's like Moses coming down from a hill and basically saying, hey, guys, I've had a word with him upstairs. And you know how we had 10 commandments? Well, we haven't. We've got 11 now. It's mm. it's it's on that sort of scale. And it, and it really does affect a lot of people. Um, the consumer principle, which is going to be principle 12, is supported by a set of cross-cutting rules. Now, these basically set standards um, on how firms should behave when they're um, engaging with um, um, with clients. 
and then underneath that supporting the whole thing is four separate outcomes so it's outcome based um, um, compliance and these are, are governance on products and services price and value uh, consumer understanding and also consumer th um, consumer support but if you take the first one um, governance on products and services that's basically product um, mm. so what the regulator is doing is taking the prod rules and firming them up a bit. Um, in a nutshell, prod basically wants firms to uh, segment the client based on particular client circumstances, look at all the relevant financial instruments that they have at their disposal and look at the best ones which are going to satisfy um, uh, the customer's needs and therefore provide good outcomes. So there's a great big chunk of prod within there. Um, but also within principle 12 is the idea that it will support and supersede principle 6 and principle 7. Now principle 6 and principle 7 is all about treating customers fairly and mm. making sure communications are clear, fair and not misleading. So if you delve into it into a little bit more um, detail, the four um, um, outcomes that we have consider all them areas. Basically, make sure you're a good guy, make sure you look after your clients, make sure your clients understand what they're getting into, and also make sure you're using the most suitable products for the most suitable section of your client bank. Now, the one that we haven't really concentrated on, which seems to be a new area, is the idea of price and value. Mm. Now, here the regulator is basically saying, okay, then um, how valuable is your products and services? Now, what we're talking about is not just manufacturing great big investment solutions or, or wraps or platforms and stuff like that, but also services. So this is where it's going to affect the smaller organisations from the distribution side as well as the big organisations. And we're talking about guys who work um, out of small offices, um, small firms, maybe family-run firms, up to the larger multi-outlet firms as well. They all provide a service to clients and their service is making sure that they provide good financial advice. Now, the regulator wants firms to make sure that that is valuable. Now when they talk about value, they pit that against the benefits taken from um, the particular service. Mm. So it doesn't matter what the cost is, what matters is what's being provided, how a client will actually get good value from that particular service. And, and it also goes into products as well, so it goes into the bigger stuff. Um, now with the distributor or the IFA being at the end of the value chain, it's also incumbent on them to ensure that everyone within the trail um, is providing good value for the end consumer, which is the client. Hmm. So really the uh, IFA is tasked with ensuring that all the stuff he uses in order to do his job, wraps, platforms, investments, DFMs, MPSs, risk-rated model portfolios or whatever he uses, is good value for money. Um, so this brings into the argument of uh, an element of price versus value versus what benefits do you get from each part of this um, hmm. um, this value chain. So uh, if anyone thinks that the consumer duty is not going to apply to them because they're a small organisation or a one man, you really need to think again. It's actually due to become rules in July of this year. That's hmm. five months away. You then have a nine-month integration period where people obviously got to get used to it. So basically this time next year, we're going to be in a situation where the consumer duty is going to be up and running and they're going to expect firms to comply to it. Now add onto this the last bit of the consumer duty where the regulator, regulator talks about monitoring. Mm. 
what they basically said there is they can expect to uh, um, ask on demand to see value statements and to see the documentations that firm produce in order for them to comply with the consumer duty now on demand now they also go one stage further and say that senior management within an organization will have governance of this mm. um, and therefore they're going to be held responsible to ensure that the consumer duty is being adhered to so not only are they going to be able to turn around to firms and say uh, excuse me, what have we done about consumer duty? They're going to go, then going to be able to look at someone within that organisation and say, you guys have got responsibility. Have you done it? If not, why? And this mm. is going to be um, this is going to be supported by SMNCR. You know, so it's uh, it's it's big stuff. It sounds like a big boat, and we haven't got long really to get everything sorted. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the FCA uh, um, renowned for lack of a better phrase for doing putting through consultations and then implementation that's not terribly long. I mean, a few things lately have been, you know, three to four months. And for something this size, nine months doesn't actually seem that long, considering, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic, hopefully. Uh, you know, Brexit's in full swing now, and there's that many consultations and guidance floating around, um, as well as FCA enforcement action. Do you think this needs to be, you know, drawn out a bit longer by the FCA? Could be. Um, could be. I mean, uh, like I say, it's a... It's a big piece of work, that is for sure. Um, but I suppose in their defence, uh, most of this stuff should be in place in one form or, or another anyway. Yeah. Um, you would imagine firms, well, should have embedded treating customer fairly because that was a good 15, 20 years ago or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, if you look at product governance, product governance has been in the handbook for a long length of time. It only really came to sort of um, prominence uh, when MIFID two. Um, came on the horizon, the gift that keeps on giving, uh, but that are sort of like put prod in in the headlights. But that's just sort of common stuff you'd expect firms to do on a day by day basis anyway. Uh, and and the last thing is we all remember RDR. Mm. Now we were given loads of time with RDR, both from a manufacturer and from an IFA perspective. But what happened was the day that RDR came in, I can't remember what year it was, but it was on something like the 3rd of January. Um, everyone basically shot from memory. Shop. Pardon? 2012 from memory. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's about 10 year old. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But at the same time, FG1216 came out and a few others. Uh, but I remember at the time I was a rep for a manufacturing company and basically firms just shut down for the whole of November and December. Mm. to get RDR in order because no one had really done anything about it beforehand. There was a lot of talk, but no one ever put in anything in place. So although we've been given sort of five months until it becomes um, rules and then another nine months after that, this is the time now where we should actually be getting it, getting it all together and getting it sorted. And we've got most of the building blocks in place that probably just need formula, formula, formulating a bit more, formalising. Do you think advisors are prepared for this? Well, you know, you'd hope so. I mean, as you said, this is more strengthening many existing rules that are there. But many IFAs I speak to at the moment are, don't either don't understand the consumer duty, haven't read it yet, or aren't you know, terribly bothered so far. Do you think there's a lack of understanding out there or a lack of guidance from the regulator? I, um, I really feel for IFA firms. My day job is, was working with firms to design charging structures and to design CIPs. Mm. Um, They've got all this regulation um, coming down on them from lots of different things and God knows how many returns that they've got to give the regulator. Then you've got all the stuff to do with COVID, then you've got all the all this stuff to do with uh, um, transfers and all that sort of thing. And then to be landed with a document which is 
uh, it when you include the um, the draft guidance, which is over thirty thousand words long, mm. uh, and then be expected to understand it when you're doing your real job, which is looking after clients, it is not um, an easy task at all. Um, so I don't think firms um, should ever blame themselves or be guilty or anything for not actually understanding this inside out. It's taken me, you know. I don't know, maybe three or four working days, you know, to really get my head around this and understand it. But I mm. can spend time doing that because that's my job, you know. And I know firms on, on need to understand regulation, but if you are a, a big manufacturer with thousands of people working for you with your own compliance department, then it's a double thumbs up for that. You know, you're mm -hmm. all right. If you're a smaller organisation um, or you know just family-run business you're going to struggle with this unless you're part of someone like Simply Biz, for instance, where we can take the time to actually do this. So I wouldn't blame firms at all for not really getting their heads around it because it's a big piece of work. Mm -hmm. um, like I say, if they can rely on people like myself and all the other good people in the industry who pick this thing apart, then, then, then hopefully you know, as a, as a profession we, we can get around it and sort of make sure that we follow it. How big is technology in that? Um, ensuring that you know, even smaller IFAs, whether they're part of a network or not, um, can ensure suitability and value, uh, especially with this stuff being you know, strengthened coming in? Yeah, I mean, big, big question, isn't it? I mean, uh, tech is only going to be the way forward, you know, with regards to everything that we do with our industry. If you use technology and you use it correctly and you invest in it, both with time and money, then you're going to drive efficiencies into into your business and you're going to drive out risk you know so anything that you can do which identifies relevant financial instruments so we're going back to prod and then allows you to research all the relevant financial instruments to find out the best for your clients and then you can make that repeatable and then you can monitor it and then you can monitor your clients on an, on a on a year by year basis is only going to be a good thing so everything cascades down from what the regulator wants which is basically making sure we look after clients and making sure we look at everything out there and then everything else supports that and technology is a massive part of it to make firms bigger fitter stronger um, to create good client outcomes but then this also dries after the second uh, of the uh, the outcomes which is price and value so if you can provide a service which is really well costed because you use software, then you're going to drive value into that and drive out the inefficiencies, as I just said. So it's integral to everything that every firm should be doing. Um, there should be lots of buttons being pressed in lots of offices in less filing cabinets. Would you also um, suggest you know, firms that are hard up at the moment? I mean, you mentioned that you know, there's... The FCA has done about six COVID surveys now since this started. Um, there's been about four DB transfer surveys sent out to you know a majority of advice firms. Should they seek out help on compliance if they're not entirely sure what's going on or don't have time to read up? Absolutely, absolutely. If you can, um, if you can outsource this part of your business to professionals who can do it then by all means. Um, if you were running a nightclub, you wouldn't go around checking all the fire extinguishers. You know, you'd get experts in to do that for you. Um, I would expect firms to hunt and to seek out good quality compliance services for that reason. 
they can keep up with the vast amount of um, electronic paperwork that keeps flying around our uh, our hard drives at the moment, uh, and employ people to to look at it, look at it, interpret it, and then understand how it can actually benefit firms. Yeah, great. And in terms of you know, again them being busy, I mean this is just another consultation as important as it is on top of many many others over the past couple of years. Do you, do you think this is a good move by the FCA? You know, they said they're going to do a lot after a rough couple of years um, in terms of you know, changing the rules for the better, especially for good outcomes for clients. Um, do you think the FCA strategy to widely consult this often and seemingly all the time lately um, is a good one or is it a bit too much information for advisors and you know, it's such a short time frame? It's an interesting question. Um, when we go around and we do roadshows and I speak, speak with firms, um, there is two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's firms that will say, okay, this is regulation. I can see why the FCA is doing it. It's really not applicable to me because they're hunting out the bad guys. Mm. But everyone has got to comply with the same rules. Um, it's non-prescriptive, you know, so they're not going to tell us what to do. They're just going to say, this is what good looks like. Um, and a lot of firms will come to the conclusion that this is the industry I'm in. It's highly regulated. Therefore, I will just get on and do it. Yeah. The other side of the spectrum are firms which basically say the regulator is there to catch me out, to shut me down, to make my life the worst it can possibly be, to basically get a great big massive barrel of treacle and let mm. me run through it. Uh, and then between you, you, you get all the other stuff. So is it a good thing? I'm more in the camp of I reckon the regulator really wants to help it's just a great big massive organization so i think it is as important as rdr um if if, if that could ever be possible the, the consumer center, duty you meant sorry the consumer duty you meant yeah 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 consumer yeah. duty is as important as is, is, is rdr in in that in that um in that sense it's looking to formalize big manufacturers as well as small guys as well. Um, but even when you do look at that and you read through it, the, rec the, the regulator recognises that and they've got a sense of proportionality within this document, i.e. we want you to return information and provide MI on um, on good client outcomes, but we realise that some guys are really small, so we'll expect less from you. So mm -hmm. they, they do understand that as well. But overall, I think it will benefit the industry as a whole. And this time next year, or you know, three or four years down the line, we're going to go, oh yeah, consumer duty, and we're just going to say, yeah, okay, we've, we've, we've got it now, just like we've done with RDR. So probably um, a bit of pain, but in the long term, I think it's going to benefit our industry. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.